Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Luke uh, chapter 1, 26 to 56. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly flavored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary um, visits Elizabeth. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. 
Father, thank you so much for Christmas. Thank you for uh, the joy that we have in, in Jesus and his birth. And as we uh, consider this story of Mary and Elizabeth, Lord, may we be reminded uh, of, of the good news, of, of um, this, 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 uh, this young woman getting pregnant with uh, our Lord and Messiah, Jesus, and, and why that's such a big deal for us. So we pray for that now. In your son's name, amen. Uh, a few years ago, I was walking through a bookstore with Heidi, and it was one of those gift bookstores. Uh, a lot of these uh, books with memes and all that sort of stuff in them that they just made into a book. And she came across this book, uh, and I've got, a, I've got an image of it, Scared of Santa, Scenes of Terror in Toyland. And now look at these babies. They're freaking out. And she loved this book. Heidi loved this book. And she was like, this is so funny. And so she, she bought it. And I was like, man, we could have spent 20 bucks in such a better way. But she decided to buy this book. Uh, and uh, I looked at this book and I didn't feel, that, I didn't feel like it was, I, I felt for these kids. I was like, what's so funny about this? These kids, like, apparently I'm the one that's not empathetic, and Heidi's the empathetic one, but I looked at this book, I'm like, man, these kids, why would mommy and daddy force me to sit on the lap of an old man dressed in a red suit and a fake, I'd be crying too. I totally get that. And so I looked this up, and there's an actual term for this, this fear, it's called Santaphobia. <laughs> well, Google said this at least. Google said, Christmas is a fun time of the year for most young children, and Santa Claus is the happy, cheerful symbol he's meant to be. But... This isn't always the cause. For some kids, Santa is he who must not be named, with Santaphobia most common in younger children who find him overbearing and confusing. I find him overbearing and confusing. I empathize with these kids. I would also be scared of this big, red ma uh, this big man in a red suit with itchy beard smiling at me, offering me gifts to sit on his lap. <laughs> Come on. There's something sus. There's just something about that that's terrifying. I don't think I have Santaphobia, but I can understand their legitimate fears, right? Their apprehension. As children being placed on his lap, this jolly man, he's meant to be a symbol of joy, though, isn't he? It's so interesting. Uh, Santa, the carols, the shows on TV, the decorations in the shopping centers, the presents under the Christmas tree, the food in the fridge, the time off, family flying into town. It's all anticipating one thing, a sense of happiness, a sense of peace, a blissful joy that comes with Christmas. Isn't Christmas all about that anticipation of joy? So no matter what kind of year you've had, no matter how hard you've been struggling recently with all its ups and downs, Christmas is that one time of year you expect to experience joy. Yet I can understand too why many come to Christmas time with the same apprehension these kids might feel on Santa's lap. There's a legitimate apprehension and fear some might feel towards this season. We instead feel the loneliness and stress even more. Uh, the, 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 uh, where, where work still has its demands, the family isn't around, the shopping centers are packed, COVID is still going around still, and, and they're still suffering. There's still the threat of death that may be at the doorstep of some around us. Yeah, it's nice to be social. It's, you know, having a packed social calendar, but it's also exhausting. And I speak on behalf of those who might struggle, but, you know, with, with, with mental health especially, too, anxiety doesn't take a holiday, does it? Just because it's December. Uh, look, I love the idea of Christmas, but no matter how much we want to love it, we, we can all agree that this season is, is here one day and gone the next. Yes, it's next week. And then what? We anticipate joy, but joy fades so quickly. Here, one minute, gone the next. Life doesn't get a pause button. Joy is short-lived and then replaced again with some other fear or apprehension we have to face in life. The stress of, what's next for my career? How do I deal with my relationships? How am I going to overcome my anxieties? Why is it so hard to make good friends? 
How can I feel secure about my financial position? How do I raise kids when I'm struggling and they're so difficult? How do I face life when loved ones around me are facing death? See, as Christmas season is here and the terror of Santa shows up in every major shopping center, where will our joy and hope be fixed upon? The people in today's story, Mary and Elizabeth, they point us to the joy and hope that they have in God amidst their uncertainties, their fears and their apprehensions that they face in their life. And my hope today will be that we'll be reminded of the joy and the hope that goes beyond what we anticipate at Christmas time, what we can fix our eyes upon. This part of the Bible shares a bit about what happened before Jesus was born in history, before the first Christmas, you could say. And I thought it was appropriate for us to get, go through it today as, we, as the lead up for Christmas next week. We've got two women in our story, Elizabeth and Mary. They're relatives, they're cousins. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. She's an older woman. Mary, we're told, is young. She's a virgin, a young teenage girl at this point in the story. She's pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And these are important details. Uh, it, it's, you know, that, that she's a virgin. I mean, it's, you don't, we don't usually introduce ourselves as virgins, right? We can meet someone, hey, I'm Mikey, I'm a virgin. We don't introduce ourselves like that. <laughs> Mary, we're told, is a virgin. This is an important thing. We have to know why. It's... It, there's a reason for that. There's an announcement made. Verse 30, the angel comes to her, appears to Mary, and says, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. She's a virgin, and she's going to conceive. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Yes, it would have been frightening to see an angel appear, but she, this angel comes and gives this news to her that's even more frightening in a sense. She's been chosen. She's going to be conceiving by the Holy Spirit and give birth to Jesus, a son that's already been named for her, the son of God in the line of King David, one of Israel's greatest kings. He will reign forever. This news will be frightening. She's a teenage girl. What do most teenage girls do today? What do they think about? They're not thinking about getting pregnant, hopefully. Uh, I, don't, I imagine they'll be thinking about friendship with their, like, you know, their friendship circles, who they fit in with at school, their grades, what they're doing on the weekend. I don't, I don't know. Latest TikTok dance. I don't, I don't want to claim I know anything about teenage girls, but that's what I imagine, right? Now, Mary's just had a bombshell dropped on her. A teenage mum? Not even married yet? Her whole life is about to change. But more importantly, we need to think about the context. This is ancient Middle East. Right? We live in a very individualistic West, Western, uh, indiv yeah, individualistic Western country. Right? This is a communal culture. Everyone's lives are involved with each other's. They talk about each other's lives to other people around them as well. You might understand this a bit more if you're from an Asian um, background, Asian culture, because it's, it's a community, whether you're Korean or Chinese or Indian, for example. In fact, I was watching this, uh, this, this uh, stand-up comedy uh, last week, Simon Haj, Homecoming King, one of my favorites. I'm just plugging it because it's a really great uh, stand-up. You should watch it. But no, he was telling about he grew up in America as an, uh, as an Indian uh, young man and he, um, with his dad, and he wanted to marry someone who was a different religion to him. So he grew up as a Muslim, and this woman that he met was Hindu. And that's frowned upon in Indian culture, right? Right, yep, no, some nods there. And what happened was his parents would say to him in Hindi, uh, Hindi, uh, what would people think? There's a, there's a phrase for it, and you can ask Rajesh later what that phrase is. But what would people think? And I, I was watching that, and I'm like, wow, that's so relatable. I'm not Indian, I'm not American, but that's so relatable because there was this time when I was a teenage kid, and I was at the dinner table, and I was using these chopsticks, 
and I was stabbing my food because I couldn't use my chopsticks. And there was this older man at the table, he was a family friend, I think, and he was lecturing me in Chinese, and he was yelling at me in front of my family, and he was saying, Mikey, you're, Mikey, Michael, you're Chinese. What would people think if you can't use your chopsticks? Oh, man, I spent so many years crying, um, tr <laughs> trying, trying to use chopsticks after that. And don't worry, I can use chopsticks now properly, but if you can't hear it, okay, no one's going to shame you for that. What would people think? And that's how Mary might be feeling at this moment. Pregnant out of wedlock. Well, let's look at the responses of her and Elizabeth. There is no humiliation here. There's no shaming. There's only a, a humble posture and rejoicing. Mary's response. In verse 38, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. This holy submission. If this is God's will for me, let it be so. I will fulfill my role as one of God's people. A desire to obey God and his word for her and the part she has to play to be the vessel. She submits to that. Let me be used by God. She goes to see her older cousin Elizabeth, six months pregnant, and when they meet, Elizabeth rejoices. There's no shaming here. Her, the baby in her womb leaps for joy. Elizabeth, uh, verse 42, in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. No shame, just rejoicing. Rejoicing for Mary, rejoicing that she gets to be in the, rejoicing that Elizabeth, she gets to be in the presence of this unborn child, Jesus himself. And even her unborn child, which we know is later on becomes John the, the Baptist, the John the Baptizer, he's leaping for joy in her womb as well. These verses here with this great news of this virgin Mary conceiving child is met with joy, with rejoicing. In the next chapter, chapter 2 of Luke, I've got it on the screen, we read the account of the shepherds at the field. The angels appear. They say to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. A Savior has been born, the Messiah, the Lord. And here is Elizabeth in chapter 1 with this unborn baby jumping for joy because of whose presence they're in. And I love this posture of gratitude and humility. There's no sense of entitlement. Uh, hear from this woman. She's not proud and boastful that she gets this position. I get to meet Jesus first. I'm the first one to get to meet Jesus. You know who Mary is? She's my cousin. Yo, she's my cousin. That's right. There's none of that. She says, why am I so favored? Blessed is the word there. Why am, I, why am I so blessed to have you come visit me? I get that privilege of being part of this joyful occasion, the good news, to, to hear this good news, this humble posture of awe, Elizabeth knows she's in the presence of greatness when it comes to the birth of Jesus. And the same posture Mary has too. A young teenage girl, chosen really out of obscurity. God sees her and just chooses to bestow this blessing upon her. She recognizes she's unworthy of this blessing. Un unworthy of this blessing. Elizabeth says it's because you have faith. You believe God. You've trusted God. You're, you know, you're walking in his ways. Yet for some reason, over the centuries, people have come to think, well, Mary must be, really, must be really good. She must be even holy. Let's give her a divine status. Let's call her a saint, Saint Mary. Let's make her the mother of Jesus, this, this holy divine one. Why, do we, why have people done that? That we should run to her in prayer, hoping she'll bring redemption and intercede for us in prayer. Friends, that's not the Mary of the Bible, though. Yes, she's blessed. Yes, she's chosen by God to be part of his plans. 
But she never claims that sort of divinity. She never gives glory to herself. How does she respond? She worships and she points us back to God, her Savior. She rejoices in Him. She breaks out in this Disney-like song, not about herself, but about God and His goodness. Yeah, she's blessed. So is Elizabeth. You know, Elizabeth says she's favored here too. So are you and I. And what Mary does is gives all the acknowledgement, recognition, worship, and glory to God. Jesus doesn't give her that status either. Go, go fast forward to Luke chapter 11. I think I've got it on the screen as well. Jesus was saying these things. He was teaching the crowds. A woman in the crowds says, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Blessed is Mary. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey. Isn't that interesting? Even Jesus doesn't give, him, give his own mom that status. Both Elizabeth, back into our passage, chapter 1, both Elizabeth and Mary understand that they are humble beneficiaries of God's grace. Right, and so in this song, let's go to the song that Mary sings. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary knows how society sees her. She says he's mindful of her humble state, her status in society, her economic standing. She was a nobody, just a teenage girl. Remember, this is patriarchal society, ancient Israel. Men had more rights and privileges than women. And while her world has just been turned upside down, she might be feeling fear and apprehension of this pregnancy. Yet she's not wallowing in misery. Oh, woe is me, my life is so hard. She's rejoicing. She gets to be part of God's great plans. She expresses a sense of awe and humble amazement. And she rejoices in this truth. See, the right response to God's blessing is joy, isn't it? What she does here is what, what the proud sinner doesn't. Recognizes God for who he is. This is what Mary does. Recognizes God for who he is and recognizes themselves for who they are. He is the mighty one. He does great things. His name is holy. He is the savior. He is the creator. He is the one worthy of our worship. And she recognizes those things and she sings about God, doesn't she? She's praising God because he is God. She's not at the center of the universe. He is. And this God is mindful of her, even in her humble, lowly state. God sees her and sees her value as one of his daughters, as one of his children. And I love that about the God we know. We, I, I think that's something that we should, we should be rejoicing about too when we think about how God has included us. Yet for some reason, we don't see people like the way God sees them, do we? What we do in our culture, instead, we, t we too often let society's view of people shape the way we think God sees people. When society looks upon people with their, their riches and their smarts and their popularity and their merits, we think those people in society are extra blessed by God because they have what we wish we had. God must favor them more because the people seem to give those people high in society so much praise. God must give them so much praise too. Why do we do that? Do those things define or describe who God favors as we read it in the Bible? Mary was chosen to be blessed. Elizabeth, an old pregnant woman, was chosen to be blessed. Two women in a Jewish man's world. They most likely had no privileges, no university degrees, no riches. Mary's betrothed to a carpenter, a trader called Joseph. Come on now, why do we often fall into the trap then and think God has blessed us less when we compare ourselves to others who are better off in a worldly sense. Why? God doesn't favor us based on those merits. He reaches out and he blesses those he blesses, people like you and even despicable sinners like me. 
You see, the only qualification that God looks at is our humble admission that we are sinners in need of him. The Christian is able to recognize that. It is purely the gracious act of God, a miracle that they are blessed at all, able to recognize that God owes us nothing. It's not because we do some good works here and there. It's not because of all our achievements and trophies. Yes, in a world, that might lead to recognition and status and power and promotions, but that's not how it works in God's economy. He owes us nothing. If we are owed anything, it's his rejection of us that we deserve. But he doesn't. He chooses to lavish his love simply because of his grace upon us. Friends, like, when we look at this, when we read this story, the one we should be resonating with is Mary. I'm Mary. I'm a nobody. One in, what, 7 billion, 7.8 billion that walk on this earth? Yet I get to be part of his unfolding plan of redemption. God has chosen you to be blessed as well part of that great redemption story that's unfolding even to this day. But how does he bless us? How do we understand God's favor upon humanity as is expressed here? Just like Mary and Elizabeth, the greatest gift is he enters into our world and he brings us into his presence. That's the blessing. That's the favor. We're blessed because we get to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. That's what Christmas celebrates. The best gift of all, God himself in the flesh, the greatest joy that the world will ever know. You see, when Jesus was born to this world, what does he do? He goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. And being raised, resurrected, it's through that, through faith in that, that we're united with Christ. That means we're united with God by his spirit. We have access now to God. Christ brings us into the presence of God himself. We don't need no priest to pray for us. We don't need that. We can pray directly to God. We don't need to enter some holy room or temple to experience God's presence. We have the Spirit of God with us because of God, because of Christ, what He does. Jesus is Emmanuel. That means God with us. And so when Jesus dies for us, our sins have been removed. The nature that rejected God, that sinful nature has been redeemed. So sin, the the sin that once separated us from God is no more. Right, track with me because that the sin has been that sin has been taken away by Jesus. There is no sin that can separate us from from God or divide us from Him. The love and the Spirit of God is a gift from God that unites us instead. God brings us into His presence by the blood of Christ. No longer far, no longer distance. Reconciled, a relationship reconciled. How good is that? We get to be in a relationship with greatness Himself. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the good news? We get to be in a relationship with the source of greatness himself. Shouldn't that all lead us to shout, hallelujah, right? Yes, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, joyful. That that actually means joyous praise to God. Hallelujah. Friends, that's, that's, that's something we shouldn't be shy or embarrassed to shout out all the time. Joyful praise to God. Hallelujah. That's the good news. It brings great joy. And Elizabeth and Mary get a sample of that. They can taste that joy right in this moment. So much joy that Mary, she breaks out in this song, this psalm, where her soul glorifies God, rejoices in his name. God, through this baby, has brought them into his presence and his greatness. What about us? Joy is there for you too. Deep-rooted eternal joy is on offer. If you haven't already come to Jesus and know that, you too... You can know, you can be in his presence too, the presence of God himself, the source of goodness and love and peace and security and freedom. You want to find joy? 
Yeah, you can look for it in relationship, in marriage. You can look for it in friendship, your possessions, in your hobbies. That gives you a little bit of joy, doesn't it? Your bank accounts, your careers, your, your food, if you're a foodie. Yeah, it brings you lots of joy. But what if all those little things are just breadcrumbs to point you to the one who is greater? Surely all those things you enjoy and rejoice over, there's a source to those things. When we come to the source, not S-A-U, S-O-U, uh, the source of all these great gifts we enjoy, we come to the presence of God, don't we? The source of joy himself, the giver of all those good gifts. And friends, this is it. It's through Jesus you now get to be in his presence. The presence of the giver, God himself. Doesn't that make your heart just leap a little bit with joy? Is your heart humble and thankful that you get to be part of that? You get to do life with God by his spirit. Christ has achieved your salvation, not your good works, not your intelligent brain or the level of success you've reached by whatever standard. That's all a gift from God anyway. Mary teaches us something profound here. Deep, lasting joy brings with this, this, this humble acknowledgement of who we are. It's purely by grace alone that God chooses to bless us in Christ. Our joy will only ever be short-lived and shallow unless we recognize the source of joy that's in God, our Creator Himself. I want to touch on upon the last few verses, verse 50 to 55. She sings of this, His great deeds, his, his majesty, His redemption, His justice that has been extended to God's people from generation to generation. God has kept his covenant promises to Abraham, to his descendants. I'll read it again, verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rules from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. He has, he has, he has, he has, he has. If this is how God has acted in history, how much more will he act for those who fear and love him? even into the future. You see, throughout the Gospels, after Jesus is born, we hear about how Jesus lifts up the humble. He feeds the hungry. He brings down the proud. He sends the rich away empty. You see, Mary, she speaks in this past tense, but she's also referring to this sort of idea of it's good as done, in the sense that this is what Jesus has come to do and will do and has done into the future. Isn't that true? Up until this day in 2022, haven't we seen Jesus at work over history? people in their humility coming before Jesus, recognizing their need for him? Isn't there people in this very room that are hungry for truth, hungry for purpose, hungry for peace and security? Haven't you found when you humbly surrender it all to him that he, Jesus the King, has filled you and lifted you up? Mary is establishing a truth that has happened but will continue to unfold into the future. The Messiah is here. His kingdom will be established forever. So how much more then can we on this side of the cross, right, on this side of Jesus, hold on to hope that God will fulfill his promises to us. Where we've experienced the goodness of God's love to us in the sacrifice of his one and only son. That in history, we know 2,000 years ago, Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. How much more should we be singing Mary's song? God has done these great deeds in history. We can have hope that he'll continue to, to, and that one day our king will return. The sorrow, the sadness, the suffering, the sin that stings will come to an end. Friends, our faith is in a hope that has already been revealed and backed time and time again. And so you can see that hope, it shapes Mary's joy, doesn't it? As hard as life is for her, her outlook is shaped by joy because of hope. Think about it. What, we want joy, but how do we deal when, this, when the world seems so broken? 
where we feel the weight of sin, the sin that entangles our hearts and those around us, the sin that stains our world, where sweat and stress soak our schedules, where relationships are strained and we feel the moments of heartbreak and loneliness and hurt. Man, sorrow and misery haunt us at times. And then death, wow, death ultimately robs us of life, which robs us of the joy that we thought was ours in this life that we've worked so hard for. When we face death, we face the end of joy, don't we? But what does the birth of Christ tell us? Joy comes hand in hand with the hope only God can give. Mary recognizes that. She points our hearts to this truth. The God who has worked in history, who's fulfilled his promises and is faithful to his people. He is the God who has brought blessing and hope to this world. He has sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be our Messiah, our Savior, and our Lord. Is this the God that you know and hope in? Because if it is, joy will follow. When you think of how God has mightily worked in your life so far, where you can look to the gospel of Christ and his sacrifice, his life substituted for yours and for mine, that one day we too will be raised with Christ and united with him. You, like Mary, can trust and look forward in hope. You, like Mary and like myself, we can look towards the promises of eternity in a relationship with God and what he has to offer. When we hold on to that hope, what can we do but rejoice? Let's pray. Friends, we thank uh, God. We come before you. And I, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. I thank you, Lord, for just the, the love that's been showered upon us, lavished upon us in Christ, that he came to our world, that at Christmas time we get to celebrate that, remember that. But it's not just at Christmas time. We get to remember this all the time. As we come to your word, as we come to church, as we um, unite with other brothers and sisters, as we, as we come before you in prayer, we get to remember this, the gospel. We have access to you because of Jesus. We can know you because of Jesus. We can have a relationship with you because of Jesus. He brings us into your presence. And so, Lord, I do pray you'll remind us of this truth. When, when times are hard, when we feel like we're struggling, when there's so much sorrow and, and sin in our world and even in our own hearts. I pray, Lord, that we'll anchor ourselves in the hope and the joy that comes from you. May our outlook on life, even in the hardest of times, when we're going through the valleys and even when we're up high on the mountaintops, let us sing of your joy and let us celebrate that as we think about Christmas, as we think about Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.